at John chapter 6 today, and um, we are, uh, we're going to start off by looking at um, one of the most famous miracles that Jesus ever did, uh, which was the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children, okay? And this particular story uh, is told in all four of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Uh, and we're going to look at it from John's perspective today because there, there are certain parts of this that are, are fairly unique um, versus the other three accounts of Jesus' life. Um, and, you know, I want, to, um, I want to highlight some of those details and um, I, want to, I want to show you something very specific uh, that comes from here that you won't find in any other place in the Bible. So... Uh, let's open up. We're, we're going to take a look at John chapter 6, and we're starting in verse 1. And the Bible says this. After Jesus crossed over the far side of the Sea of Galilee, also known as the Sea of Tiberias, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. Then Jesus climbed a hill and sat down with his disciples around him. And it was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Jesus soon saw a huge crowd of people coming toward him. Turning to Philip, he asked, where can we buy bread to feed all these people? Verse 6 says, he, he was testing Philip, for he already knew what he was going to do. Philip replied, even if we worked for months, we wouldn't have enough money to feed them. Then Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, spoke up. There's a young boy here with five barley loaves and two fish, but what good is that with this huge crowd? Tell everyone to sit down, Jesus said. So they all sat down on the grassy slopes. The men alone numbered about 5,000. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks to God, and distributed them to the people. Afterward, he did the same with the fish, and they all ate as much as they wanted. After, after everyone was full, Jesus told his disciples, now gather the leftovers so that nothing is wasted. So they picked up the pieces and filled the 12 baskets with the scraps left by the people who had eaten from the five barley loaves. Verse 14 says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. And we'll end with this verse. When Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, and we thank you for this time of praise and worship. We thank you for this time of learning. Lord, we, we thank you for all things that you do, and we thank you for, more importantly, for all that you are. Lord, we ask right now that you would open hearts, open spirits, so that you would speak directly into them and deliver the message that you have come to deliver today. Lord, we, we thank you for all that you are doing in us, on us, and through us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So um, that is the story uh, in its, almost in its entirety uh, from John's standpoint. Um, and what's interesting about this is if you read through the other accounts of this story, this is probably the longest account that you'll get 
um, in reference to the feeding of the 5,000. And it, it gives us some pretty unique details um, that we're going to take a look at today as we move forward uh, for the events that come after this, okay? Because the events that come after this kind of, uh, when you look at them from a really big picture view, are what makes uh, this particular story sort of unique, okay? So we're actually going to go back and take a look at verse 2. And in verse 2, we see that uh, Jesus, well, actually right before this in verse 1, we see that Jesus is traveling with his disciples. And when we say disciples, we are talking about anybody that was in Jesus' entourage. We're not just talking about the 12, okay? So we're talking about the 12 plus some other folks that are traveling at this time, okay? And we get to this point in the chapter, and it says, a huge crowd kept following him wherever he went. And this is talking about Jesus. Because they saw his miraculous signs as he healed the sick. So here's the deal. We, we got all these people that are following Jesus, and right now they're following him because of the miraculous signs that they saw with him healing the sick. Okay? All right. So that doesn't really mean a whole lot until you see this in full context because um, what I want you to do is I want you to keep score, okay, of every time that there's a miraculous sign that's done, okay? Um, because what you're going to notice is a certain pattern that comes up here. So we fast forward past this point. And at this point, Jesus has already fed all the people, and it said that they ate as much as they all wanted. So they, they were full. They were good. They were like, free meal? We got it. We're good. So now, if we fast forward to verse 14, here's what the Bible says. It says, when the people saw him do this miraculous sign, they exclaimed, surely he is the prophet we have been expecting. Now, this to me is kind of funny. Uh, because, like, they're calling him the prophet, but, like, here's the deal. Uh, Jesus, yes, he, he was a prophet, um, and I guess in a way they made the correct statement. Yeah, he was a prophet, but he wasn't teaching them right then. He didn't share anything prophetic with them in order for them to make this statement, okay? But they were calling him this out of a certain amount of respect, I guess. Um, but what's ironic here is that if you look at the Old Testament and you look at the prophets in the Old Testament, none of them were particularly revered by the people of Israel. Okay? As a matter of fact, they were scorned heavily by the people of Israel because usually when they came around with the word from the Lord, it wasn't something that was nice. Okay, it was something that was usually a word of rebuke to get them back on track because they had walked and strayed so far away from God. Okay, so by them calling him the prophet and they, them being excited about it, it, it doesn't quite make sense. But it comes into context a little bit when we read the next verse. So in verse 15, it says, when Jesus saw that they were ready to force him to be their king, he slipped away into the hills by himself you know now <laughs> this is kind of funny because you think about it and like I just told you the prophets they weren't highly revered 
But they were so excited. They were so enamored with Jesus because he could feed them that now they were ready to force him to be the king. They were, they were coming up to him like, yo, dude, uh, you are spot on. You are 100% awesome. Yo, you should consider running for the king. No, they weren't saying that. They weren't saying that. They were, they, look, they, they were more like, yo, I don't care what this dude say. We're going to have to make him king. I mean, he, shoot, he came up here, he's healing people, he's feeding people. Nobody can do that, right? So they acknowledged the fact that he had these special abilities, but they got real shallow memories. We're going to see that play out here soon, okay? So we're going to go ahead and, and switch gears now because now uh, he's already, uh, you know, removed himself from that whole situation. He, he's gone into the hills, and, and in the other gospel accounts, you read that he went away into the hills to pray, okay? And he sent the disciples ahead. Um, you know, they are currently in a city called Tiberias, and he sent them ahead to a city called Capernaum, okay? Uh, because he was planning to go and teach in the synagogue there, okay? So coming back to our story here, if we look at verse 16, Bible says this, that evening, Jesus' disciples went down to the shore to wait for him. But as darkness fell and Jesus still hadn't come back, they got into the boat and headed across the lake towards Capernaum. Soon a gale swept down upon them and the sea grew very rough. They rode three or four miles when suddenly they saw Jesus walking on the water toward the boat and they were terrified. But he called out to them, don't be afraid, I am here. And the last verse is, then they were eager to let him into the boat, and immediately they arrived at their destination. Now, it's real easy to read through this, uh, this section of text, this pericope in the text, and miss some, some really important factors. So I'm actually going to... Uh, I'm actually going to tell you some other stuff that sort of transpired here that John doesn't particularly share, but the other three Gospels do. Okay, so this is also the point in time uh, when Jesus was walking on the water where he asked, uh, or where Peter asked, you know, Lord, if this is really you, allow me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And Jesus said, come. Uh, you know, and Peter gets out the boat. He starts walking towards him. His eyes are focused on Jesus. Then his focus switches from Jesus to the rough winds, to the rough seas, to the rain that's fallen, to everything else but Jesus, and he starts to sink. Okay? So it was at that moment Jesus reaches down, picks him up. They both get into the boat, and immediately after they get into the boat, uh, the storm stops, weather grows calm, or the, the seas go calm, and what none of the other gospels talk about that this particular one does is that it says and immediately they arrived at their destination so i read this uh i read this a number of times and you know to me it it, it just seemed out of place so you know being me i, I just went and I, I looked on google maps and i'm like all right so there's got to be something here so i looked uh, and these cities are still around today. Capernaum is still there uh, in the northern part of Israel. Uh, Tiberias is still there. And they are both cities that are located 
on the Sea of Galilee or the Sea of Tiberias. The Bible tells that they're mentioned as both. Okay, so here's the deal. If you were to take a car ride from Tiberias all the way up to Capernaum, it would probably be, depending on where you started in Tiberias and where you landed in Capernaum, it would take you at least 12 miles to get there by road. Since they were rowing across the Sea of Galilee to get there, it probably would have been somewhere in the neighborhood of about six to seven miles, okay, for them to row across. Now, that doesn't give you a whole lot of context until you look back and where you see in the text that it says that they were only about three to four miles out in this journey. Then as soon as Jesus gets into the boat, immediately they arrive at their destination. So they teleported like that, got to their destination as soon as they put their trust in Jesus and he got in that boat. And this is a word for us. I mean, we need to make sure that even though the storms are going on in life, okay, that we keep our focus on trusting him and inviting him into our lives so that he can get us through them. Okay, and it may not come as an immediate thing, but it will come. And that's the point. Okay, so if we're keeping count here up to this point, how many miracles have been done? Jesus has been healing the sick in various ways. Okay, so that's one miraculous sign. Then we've got the feeding of the 5,000 men plus women and children. So you're looking at anywhere between 10 to 12,000 people, really. Okay, so those are two miracles. And then now the disciples, not just the 12, but the entire discipleship, okay, they've also experienced Jesus walking on the water and now them being immediately teleported to their destination in Capernaum. Jesus has done four miracles in the presence of the disciples. Now, this is important because, well, you'll see in a minute. Um, so four, disciple, uh, four miraculous signs have been done in, uh, in the presence of the disciples. Two have been done in the presence of the crowd, okay? So the people that were just coming to get fed and, and the people that were coming for healing, okay? So keep an eye on that because that, that's going to be real important. All right, so if we move into verse 22, uh, the Bible says this. Uh, the next day, the crowd that had stayed on, sh on the far shore saw that the disciples had taken only or had taken the only boat and they realized that Jesus had not gone with them verse 23 says several of the boats from Tiberias landed near the place where the Lord had blessed the bread and the people had eaten so the crowd saw that neither Jesus nor his disciples were there they got into the boats and went across to Capernaum to look for him they found him on the other side of the lake and they asked rabbi when did you get here so, <laughs> then verse 26, let me not get ahead of myself. I told you, I'm, I'm excited to teach this one today. So, in verse 26, Jesus replies, I tell you the truth, you want to be with me because I fed you, not because you understood, what? The miraculous signs. So, basically, he told them this. Up until now, you've called me the prophet, 
and you've called me rabbi, okay? Uh, and rabbi means teacher, for those of you that don't know, okay? So up until now, you've called me the prophet, and you've called me rabbi, both of which can, or both of which have the ability to feed you spiritually, but here's the thing. You're just here because I fed your bellies. You're just here because I healed the sick people. That's basically what he's saying, okay? And what's interesting is, like, if, if that was me and I was Jesus, I'd have been like, yo, you might as well call me doctor or call me chef because those are the things that I've done for you that you can see. But you don't even see the fact that I can help you spiritually too. So... In verse 27, the Bible says this. But don't be so concerned about the perishable things like food. Spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you. For God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So Jesus tries to redirect them here. And in an indirect way, he tells them, look. You may be seeking for all these temporary fixes in your life, and I can give you those things, yeah, but here's the deal. This is where I really came, okay, because he's saying saying to them that you need to spend your energy seeking the eternal life that the Son of Man can give you, okay? And then after that, he goes on and he says, for God the Father has given me the seal of his approval. So in a roundabout way, he's telling them, look, I'm the son of man, okay? And if they understood what that really meant, okay, they would have known instantly that that was prophetic because back in, I believe, the book of Isaiah, Jesus, or or the prophet Isaiah makes mention to the fact that the son of man would come. And in this statement, Jesus is speaking directly to that prophecy okay but he's not just coming out there on front street and just saying look yeah i'm the son of god okay he's he's telling it uh in the way that he usually spoke to the crowds which was in the form of parable okay so he gives them the the roundabout uh explanation to this and and he says look you're really should be seeking that which is eternal that i can give you but I know that's not really what you're seeking, okay? So then in verse 28, here's what the Bible says. It says, they replied, we want to perform God's works too. What should we do? Now, this is funny to me because he just got finished telling them that basically he's the son of God. And their response to him is that, well, we want to perform God's works too. And isn't that just like people to allow their pride to go before them in order to be their own God, in order to do their own thing the way that they want to do it versus the way that God really wants it to be done? He wants to do the work in us. He wants to do the work for us so that he gets all the glory. If man does the work, then man gets the glory. But if God does it, then he gets the glory. Okay? So... They went about looking at this the whole wrong way. And they're saying, well, what should we do? So then here's his response to them. 
verse 29, Jesus tells them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. Hmm. Believe in the one he has sent. So without making a definitive statement again, basically what he's telling them is you need to believe in me. Okay? So at this point, they said, we want to do the things that you can do, basically saying that we want to be able to provide for ourselves. Okay? Uh, And he's come back to them and he said, look, there's only one thing that God actually requires of you, and that is that you believe in me, period, end of story, okay? So now story shifts a little bit, okay? Because now look at their response to him in verse 30. It says, they answered, show us what? A miraculous sign. Show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. And then they ask him, what can you do? So (laughs) here's what's funny. This is hilarious to me because he had already showed them that he could heal their sick in various ways. He had already showed them that he could provide for all of their physical needs. And now when he confronts them with the thing that they need the most, they tell him, Show us a miraculous sign. Yo, it, I'm going to tell you, I'm going to be real with you. I couldn't have been Jesus right here. I couldn't have been Jesus right here because here's what would have happened, okay? I'd have been like, wait, what? You're serious. After, after yesterday, this was the following day. I told you they had short memories, right? This was the following day. I'd have been like, wait a minute, wait, wait, wait. Hold on, let's, let's just back the train up a little bit. You mean to tell me after having fed you out of next to nothing and having healed all of your sick, you want me to show you what? Okay, here, let me show you a miraculous sign. Now you see me, now you don't. You're all blind. <laughs> right? That would have been me. Thank God that I'm not Jesus, okay? Because <laughs> that would have been my response. I would have told them, are you serious? You want me to show you a miraculous sign. Okay, you're blind and you're dead. How about that? Walk in that. Okay, you want to do the things I can do? Open your eyes again. Okay? That's what I would have told them, but I'm not Jesus. I'm not Jesus. I'm I'm just me. Okay? So in verse 31, (laughs) the Bible says this. After all, and they're, they're continuing to speak now. They're continuing to dig themselves a deeper hole. So it says, after all, our ancestors ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say, Moses gave them bread, to, bread from heaven to eat. Now, hold up. Let's talk about this for a minute. So not only, not only do they have short memories, but they got faulty memories, too, because Moses didn't feed them nothing. God gave gave the Israelites manna, okay? He gave them manna while they were in the wilderness. So Moses didn't do nothing, okay? But, again, they got real shallow memories. And and what, 
something else just came to you. So then they're talking about the, the Israelites of old that came out of Egypt, right? So these are the same folks that when they got the manna and all their, uh, uh, all their needs were being met while they were in the wilderness, this was a time when God was protecting them. During the daytime, he came in the form of a cloud pillar, okay, which gave them shade during the daytime versus being in direct sunlight forever in the middle of the desert, right? And then at nighttime, he came as a pillar of fire to protect them against their enemies from coming in and being marauders and raiding them, okay? Because nobody in their right mind is going to come and try and attack people in the middle of the wilderness when there's a pillar of fire raining down from heaven. This is, these are, are, are the people that they're referring to. But here's the deal. Guess what? Those people complained after they had it all. The same way. Okay? So Jesus, knowing this, tells them, no, I, I'm not going to be your king. I'm not going to, uh, uh, I'm not going to continue to feed you like this because you'll turn around and you'll complain too. So herein lies the problem, okay? So in verse 32, the Bible says this. Jesus said, I tell you the truth. Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. My father did. And now he offers you true bread from heaven. Verse 33 says, the true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So Jesus reiterates now that he is not only the son of God, but he's also the savior of the world. Okay? Now we fast forward to verse 34, and they keep digging this hole. And here's what the Bible says. It says, sir, they said, Give us that bread every day. So I want you to I want you to, to see what's been happening here. Uh, up until this point, they've called him the prophet. They've called him rabbi, which is teacher. And now they've just called him sir. <clears throat> None of these names accurately describe who Jesus is. Okay? There are only certain characteristics that people could see in him. But they didn't see what was the most important thing, which was that he was the Messiah and that he was Lord. Okay? So that's, that's the reason why up until now they've only been ascribing him human characteristics and been calling him by names that Essentially, you could see on the surface, characteristics that you could see on his surface. Yes, he was a man. They called him sir. Yes, he was a prophet because he said some prophetic things during his ministry. Yes, he was the rabbi because, yes, he taught some things. But they couldn't get past seeing the man. They couldn't see him as he truly was and is, which is the son of God. Okay? So... After this point, um, Jesus goes on and he says in verse 35, okay, he says, I am the bread of life. 
whoever comes to me will never will never be hungry again whoever believes in me will never be thirsty now this particular statement echoes a statement that he made back in Matthew chapter 5 when he was giving the sermon on the mount okay and he was giving what we what we now call the beatitudes okay uh, because in Matthew 5 verse 6 it says this God blesses those who hunger and thirst for justice or in other versions of the Bible it says for righteousness okay for they will be satisfied do me a favor flip back to the uh, the verse before that okay so it said that uh, it says blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness for they will be filled or they will be satisfied right so if we look here Jesus is actually talking about himself and his own righteousness because he says Whoever comes to me will never, what, be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Okay? So he's talking about his own righteousness. But they wanted, like I said before, they wanted to do the things of God because they wanted to do things their own way, be filled with their own righteousness, and walk their own path. They didn't want to walk with God. So he's trying to redirect him and I'll tell you what Jesus has uh, the patience of Jesus because that wouldn't have been me I'd have told him once or twice like I tell my kids and then after that it's time for a spanking I'm sorry that's where we're at Uh, because then after this what happens over the next the next 25 verses is him explaining this concept of being the bread of life okay and what ends up happening is he ends up alienating these people from the crowd because he keeps telling them, look, I'm the bread of life. God has sent me so that you can be filled with me and my righteousness. But then what happens is they start murmuring and they start saying that they start complaining and saying, well, hold up. Wait a minute. You're, you're the same Jesus that is the son of Mary. Okay, that's the son of Joseph. So how is it that you're their son, but you're also the son of God? Okay, so they they couldn't get it. And they chose not to believe. So they fell away. And what we come to understand from this story is that we start out with four distinct uh, groupings of people. We start out with the crowd. We move from the crowd to just being the disciples, and then we move from the disciples to being just the 12, and then Jesus, okay? And there is this separation um, that begins to occur starting here, okay? Because now he's already alienated the crowd, so now (laughs) they're not following him. So when we drop down and we look at uh, what happens in verse 60, the story takes a, a very distinct turn. So verse 60 says this, many of his, who his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. How can anyone accept it? Then the Bible says in verse 61, Jesus was aware that his disciples were complaining. So he said to them, does this offend you? Verse 62 says, then what will you think 
if you see the Son of Man ascend to heaven again. The Spirit alone gives eternal life. Human effort accomplishes nothing. And the very words I have spoken to you are spirit and life. Verse 64 says, but some of you do not believe me. For Jesus knew from the beginning which ones didn't believe. And he knew who would betray him. Verse 65 says, then he said, that is why I said that people can't come to me unless the father gives them to me. And we're going to stop at verse 66, where it says this. And this is probably the most disappointing part in this entire chapter, because it says, at this point, many of his disciples turned away and deserted him. Now, let me show you the significance of this. Because at this moment, he is referring to people who had witnessed at least how many types of miracles? Four. Walking on the water, immediately being transported to Capernaum, the feeding of the 5,000, and the healing of the sick. Okay? They had seen all these miraculous signs. Okay? And the other travesty behind this is these are people who claim to be Christian. These are people who claim to be following Christ. These aren't the crowd. Because we know the crowd just came to get fed. Okay? We know the crowd just came for what they could get from Jesus. Okay? These are people who have been walking with Jesus. But they deserted him. They turn away from him and his teaching. And, you know, I read this and, and I, I, I had to really think about this because this is, um, this is not just something that happened back then. This is something that happens now. So, you know, I, I, I really looked at this and, um, you know, I, I had to really try and hone in on it. Why is it that they deserted him? You know, it wasn't like they didn't have enough physical proof because they had seen everything that he could do. That wasn't it. It wasn't that he didn't teach them uh, because Jesus always taught his disciples. Whenever he taught in front of the crowds, he would always go back and then teach them later on the meanings behind the things that he was saying. So it wasn't that they were dealing with a lack of physical proof or that they were dealing with a lack of teaching. Here's where the problem comes in. Go back to verse 60 for me. Verse 60. Here's the problem. Many of his disciples said, this is very hard to understand. I read this, and I read this, and I read this some more, and what dawned on me was that it wasn't that they didn't have enough good teaching. Jesus is the greatest teacher of all time. It wasn't that they didn't have enough physical proof, because up to that point, 
they had seen more than a lifetime's worth of miracles. The problem was in their understanding. And to prove that point, go to Proverbs 3 and 5 for me. Because the Bible says this. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not depend on what? Your own understanding. See, the problem was, man, this is good. Y'all need to catch this. The problem was they only followed him in so much as they could understand what he was talking about or they could really buy into what he was talking about. But as soon as he said something contrary to that, what'd they do? They were out. They were out. And sadly, this is what happens in a lot of churches today. People come, they get saved, they call themselves disciples, come to Wednesday, I'm coming to Wednesday night Bible study, I'm doing this, I'm doing that. Right up until the pastor says something that goes a little sideways in their head and they don't understand it or they can't buy into it, they can't believe it, and guess what? Then they're out. We've seen it in this church many times. But see, here's the deal. We need to trust in the Lord with all our heart and lean not on our own understanding because when we lean on our own understanding, we can be just like those disciples that walked away from Jesus who weren't really disciples because if they were really his, they wouldn't have left. This is so important. This is so underrated. And this is such a, a, a good and powerful message that more Christians need to learn. that it's not talked about enough, okay? You can't just get upset and pick up your ball and go to the next ball game because guess what? Y'all are not playing the way I want to play. That's not who we're called to be. We have a greater responsibility as Christians, okay? Regardless of whether or not it offends us initially, okay? We need to understand that there are some things that are going to offend us. There are some things that are not going to sit right with us in our own hearts. But we got to understand that our hearts are not right. And he's trying to change our hearts. And it's only when we start trusting in the Lord with all of our heart and not leaning on our own understanding that we can truly walk with Jesus the way we need to walk with Jesus. They missed it. Because they were leaning on their own understanding of things. Said, I told you, we was going to get to that understanding. They missed it because they were leaning on their own understanding versus walking by faith. We're told to walk by faith, not by sight. They saw all the miracles. They could have easily been persuaded by what they had seen already. But we're not called to walk by what we see. We're called to put our trust in the Lord regardless of whether or not we can see the end destination or not. So we got to understand it's not on our understanding or it's not in our own understanding where the walk is effective. Okay? It's when we trust in the Lord. When we put our 
own understanding aside and, and say, you know what, God, I don't understand it all, but I'm going to walk with you anyway. Because I'm going to tell you, like, I stand up here and, and, and I'm teaching to you now, and I teach to the youth on Wednesday nights, but guess what? I don't understand it all. But I do what I've been called to do, and I teach it because if we open our hearts to it, God will give us the understanding that we need to make the next move. Okay? So, let's keep going here. In verse 67, the Bible says this. Then Jesus turned to the twelve and asked, are you also going to leave? Verse 68, Simon Peter uh, says the most profound statement uh, in this entire chapter. And he says, Lord, to whom would we go? You have the words that give eternal life. Verse 69 says, we believe and we know you are the Holy One of God. See, Peter got it in this moment. Peter, uh, Peter got the revelation from God that it wasn't about the things that Jesus could do. Okay? It wasn't about uh, all the physical healing. It wasn't about uh, the food that could be given. It wasn't about the clothes that are given out every weekend and food and clothing. It's not about any of that. And what's interesting is that for the first time in this entire transaction uh, that's going on over the, this two-day period, for the first time somebody addresses Jesus. If we go back to verse 68, first time someone addresses Jesus under his true title, Lord. See, the crowds couldn't do that because they didn't see Jesus as Lord. Not even the disciples that were walking with Jesus outside of the 12 could see him as Lord. But Peter and the 12 did. Okay? Or Peter and the other 11 did. Okay? And it's only when we have this understanding of who God truly is, of who Jesus really is, that we can put our, our priorities in the right order, okay? Because all those other people have valued Jesus for all the things that he could do. They didn't value him as Lord, okay? So those disciples, yeah, they were saying that Jesus may be the Savior of the world, but he wasn't their Lord. He wasn't Lord and Savior, okay? So Peter... And the 12 said, look, to whom would we go? And then Peter makes another profound statement, and he says, you have the words that give eternal life. Essentially, Peter was saying, you have the only thing to offer that truly matters. Because all that other physical, physical stuff, I, I was teaching the youth on, on Wednesday night. I was teaching them that, okay, with the exception of salvation, the devil can imitate everything else and try and give you 
okay, can give you the food, can give you the money, can give you the power, the influence, can give you all these other things, but he can't give you salvation. So Peter had it right. Peter, had, Peter even had a right in priority. He's, he acknowledged who God was, and then he acknowledged the only thing that really mattered, which was salvation. So I want to um, close by coming full circle, and I want to ask you this question. I want to ask you the question that uh, is the theme of this particular study or this particular sermon. And the question is very simple. You know, are you hungry for the miraculous? Because, see, here's the thing. Jesus can do the miraculous in your life. Okay, and you might see miraculous as being, you know, he's getting my needs met. You know, he's making sure he puts money in my pocket. But the, the really miraculous thing is salvation. Are you allowing Jesus to do that in your life? Okay, because here's the deal. Like, uh, here's another way to put it. Um, do you hunger for the things that God can do for you? Or do you hunger for the things of God? We have to ask ourselves that question. And we have to, to be really sober about asking that question because it's real easy to get wrapped up in everything that God can do for you without really understanding that there's only one true thing that we really need to be seeking from him. And that's salvation. If you don't have that, all this other stuff is going to perish. He said that himself. talked to um, the youth this past Wednesday night about the importance of making sure that we prioritize our thankfulness. And I asked them a question um, that's sort of like a trick question, um, but we'll see if, if you can answer it. I'm going to ask this rhetorically, so don't give me any feedback on this. I'm, I'm just asking. And I want you to think about this. Why are you thankful? Why are you thankful? If the first thing that comes to your mind is, well, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for mom or dad. Okay, well, that's a person. I said, why are you thankful? If the first thing that comes to mind is the fact that you're healthy, that is a thing. Why are you thankful? If the first thing that comes to your mind is all of the things that God can do for you outside of salvation, you're missing the point of the question. Why are you thankful? We need to be thankful for who God is. The Bible says in Psalm 100, and I didn't put this in my notes, but the Bible says in Psalm 100 that God is good that he has faithfulness to us and that he has an undying love for us. Those are three characteristics of God that we cannot allow to just be 
one of those things that we think about on the surface. Those have to be deep in us because here's the deal. If they don't get deep in us, then we can easily get sidetracked by all the things that God does for us without understanding that the things are not as important as the giver of the things. So you have to ask yourself this question and you got to be real about the answer. Am I truly thankful to God for who he is or am I truly thankful for the things that he's done for me? Because it's okay to be thankful for the things that he's done for you. But if you don't prioritize that and put him first and just be thankful for who he is first, it's real easy to get stuck in the trap that the crowd got stuck in, that the disciples got stuck in outside of the 12. Okay, so we have to be sober and we have to be humble in how we view God. Because if not, we can easily run ourselves astray because our theology is jacked up. Okay, and God deserves more than that from us. Yes, he deserves thanks for all things, but here's the deal. Um, if we cannot thank him for who he is first, we're going to lose sight once all the things start flowing from him. So, you know, my challenge to you is to always put God first in the order of thankfulness. And then you can also thank him for the things that he's done for you. Amen. So let's go ahead and pray. Oh, God, thank you so much for being so good to us. Thank you so much for always being there for us, always being faithful, always, always having this undying love for us. God, you say in your word that we are yours and that no one can take you take us from you and God we pray and, and we thank you so much uh, for salvation we thank you so much for secondly for the things that you do in our lives and God we pray that we would always keep that priority straight that we wouldn't put those things before you because only you are worthy for all the glory all the honor all the praise that can ever be given. So we thank you in these things and all things. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the AOCF Sound Doctrine Podcast. And visit us on the web at AOCFnow.org. Your financial support for this ministry allows us to share the gospel around the world. Your support is greatly appreciated. If you would like to give a donation, please go to aocfnow.org. Abundant Life Christian Fellowship Church, loving God, loving people.